Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Friends, today on the podcast, Krista Ferrara is going to be having a conversation with us about building brand awareness. Because let's face it, whether you want to be serving more people, which means more people need to know about you, you want more volunteers, more donors, more whatever, it requires brand awareness. And that's why we sought out Krista Ferrara. She is a former news producer who left the business to pursue a career in public relations, which, by the way, if you're on the news side of the business, that's apparently considered the dark side. Uh, And so currently what she does is she runs media and marketing for the Dallas-based nonprofit health center, HHM. And she has taken everything that she learned in her earlier career with NBC Universal and Nextar Media as a news and features producer to raise HHM's profile. In just her first 16 months on the job, she has placed over 50 media hits with an advertising value of $1.2 million. And let me just put that in perspective. 16 months, that means you're talking about 70 weeks or so. So that's almost one media hit a week. And gosh, that is like fifteen dollars to $20,000 of advertising in kind, just in that alone. She also has led a 462% expansion of social media followers and revamped everything from the website to monthly newsletters and more. And that's why we really wanted to get Krista Ferrara on the podcast to have this conversation with us. Hey, Krista, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So you made a little bit of a bold career move there when you said, okay, I'm, I've am i gotten established in the journalism world and now I'm going to walk away from it. Yeah, I would consider that one of the mo- hardest decisions I've had to make in my life, probably. All I knew was TV. When I was six years old, I visited Who Wants to Be a Millionaire set in New York um, at ABC. And from there, I just knew I wanted to be in TV. It was a hard decision to um, to walk away. I could see that. And what made you decide to, to leave it? Honestly, so I moved to Dallas in March 2020, which we all know what happened in March 2020. And so as a producer, I was working in Charleston before Dallas. And I had been writing about COVID-19 since November 2019. And so I didn't really think anything was really going to happen because it was March. I just moved and I moved to work at NBC. So after I was sent home for two weeks, which we know I didn't go back to the studio. Um, And I just kind of had to think like what I wanted to do next. I had already reached my goal, which was being a network producer. And I was able to launch a new network um, for NBC, which went past um, my dreams. And then, you know, the, the doom and gloom of every day that was, I was kind of having to write about or watch videos that were very disturbing. I kind of decided I wanted to do something else. And I really had to start thinking about what my next move was anyway. So I just kind of thought maybe a change of pace would be better for me. Wow. And so it sounds like this is quite a change of pace. What about the transition? Because sometimes I should also say, while we're not, this is not the main part of our conversation, we will sometimes talk to people who transition from the for-profit sector to the nonprofit sector. And we're like, what was that like? So how was that to go from for-profit newsroom, which is really different, to nonprofit media? Yeah. 
coming from the newsroom, you have a deadline every single day. The news is going to go on without you. So I really had to learn how to adjust to not like try to finish everything within like an hour. You know, I had never worked with volunteers or donors and going to events like when I first, my first month at this nonprofit, the development team, which I'm under, but they had started a friends. Um, and so people pay to go to this lunch every quarter and they're all donors and we talk, it's a different topic. So the last one was about population health. And I was like, oh, okay. I had to go and take pictures and I just like didn't expect to eat what everyone else was when I was working at iHeartRadio. I went to these events and I was not eating. I had to pack my own stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I can get used to this. Um, so just, I think the change of pace and um, being able to see face-to-face of donors. But my favorite part is um, who we serve, our patients. We serve like uninsured and refugees and people living below the poverty line. And just everyone has a story. And I accepted this job and any job that I was looking for after news, I still wanted to tell stories and talk to people and figure out how, you know, it's always nice to be able to see who we're actually serving than just writing about it in a newsroom. Um, Yeah. And so one of the things I mentioned in the intro, and I feel pretty confident all of our listeners were like, whoa, I need to know how to do this. You placed 50 media hits in 16 months. And to put that in perspective, that's about one every 10 days. So I know everybody wants to know how they can get 50 in 16 months. How did you do it? So I think I have an advantage coming from the newsroom. I know what they want, what they don't want to read, especially my last job was a segment producer. And so I would get hundreds of um, emails a day. And not all of them really interested me. So I think there's a few things that you should remember. Always keep your email pitches short and sweet. Like I said, they're getting hundreds of emails a day. They don't want to have to go through of the who, what, where, why, and when. So make that extremely clear. So so real quick, hold on. So short and sweet, how long is too short and how long is too long? So I I do the pitch at the beginning what event we're doing or why this is important. I think the most important, and sometimes I even bold it, is, is it impacting a lot of the community? So, and that's really what's going to get a local news outlet's attention. It's like a sentence below um, a different paragraph. Who we are offering to interview, I always try to make sure I have an expert. So in my work, it would be a doctor. And then a patient, someone that they can put a face to a name of that community that we're helping. And then literally like probably two, maybe three sentences of who we are, what does our organization do? I see a lot of even PR pitches that are like maybe corporate mandated and they have a template. And it's just a lot of bragging about yourself. Like, honestly, and I'm not trying to be mean, but the news doesn't care. They don't want to hear about all that. They want to hear what you're doing and how, I guess, we can help each other, right? Like, a reporter always wants to be able to pitch in their editorial meetings. So it it's kind of a two-way street that we're helping each other out, but they're not going to see what the point of your email is if it's very long and it's in the middle of a paragraph. Or So I think what I hear you saying is about four paragraphs. So a pitch... The, this is the expert, this is the client or person who benefits, and then the very last 
paragraphs, just a couple sentences is who we are. Yeah. When I say paragraphs, though, it really is like three sentences, one sentence, and then who we are. And then just like my cell number. Yeah, it's not. It's very, very short. See, and that's why I wanted to ask you what's too short and what's too long. Because in my head, I was thinking four or five sentence paragraphs. But no, you're describing in total like 12 sentences, if that. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, like if it's something, I feel like healthcare is easy to get data to help back up your claim. Um, So for me, just today I was reading, okay, kids are declining of getting the flu vaccine. And so I asked our quality people, hey, pull the data from 2021 to 2022 season and this year's flu season. And I want to see if that's true for us, because if it is, I can get our pediatric doctor in front of a camera and talk to them why that's probably not smart and (laughs) to get your kids vaccinated. So always try to get data. And especially if like a huge think tank or another news organization that's um, national and they already have data, share that article with your local reporter and say, you know, hey, they also covered this here. So you know that it is important since it's national news. Part of what I love about that is you're also saying, hey, just look and see what's going on and make it timely. Yeah. And, you know, especially local news, they want to localize things that are happening around the world. And then if you see a reporter had already done like a similar story, you can always follow up with that reporter and be like, hey, here's how to further this story. Maybe I have a doctor that does hormone replacement every day and you can come in and look at the lab that we do, you know, or whatever it is. Um, But you can always further the story if that's something that your organization can do. That is such a good idea as well. So, So I'm thinking, all right, so you put together this like, if that 12-sentence pitch. Maybe if you're lucky, you can get it down to 10 sentences. How do you decide who to send it to? So obviously you look and see who's writing things, but what else do you need to be thinking about? So I've taken, since my transition, I've taken, you know, the free webinars on how to pitch the media. And honestly, I don't listen to them. And here's why. I'm always hearing, don't email the whole newsroom. Don't email maybe an investigative reporter if you're a healthcare center. Not true. As you know, and we've talked about, I left the news business. How would a PR person know that I left unless they get my bounced email? Now you have to figure out, okay, who is the segment producer? And nine times out of 10, if you accidentally email an investigative reporter, they'll email back and be like, okay, we sent this to the assignment desk and not, you know, delete it. Unless it's a bad pitch, then they're going to delete it. I'm sorry for laughing, but I love the way you say that. (laughs) Unless it's a bad pitch, then no one's going to read it no matter what. Yeah, if it gets lost, they're not going to read it. But um, So I literally email every reporter, anchor, producer, emails that I can see. It is really easy to get them. For reporters and anchors, go on the local website. It's literally there. Go on their Twitter. It's there. For producers, I just look them up on LinkedIn. If you already know how... Your ABC affiliate has their email template set up. Then if you have their first and last name, you can email them. So how often are you emailing pitches? Because it sounds like you've got it. Then you've essentially created a big list that's somewhat generic. So how often are you emailing pitches to this big list? I do try to spread it out because I know if I send out too many pitches and they may be good, but if this editorial team in their meetings hear it a lot, they may be like, okay, they've gotten a lot of ad- free advertising and we're going to you know, focus on somewhere else or we're going to go to the competitor hospital that's down the street. 
So I do try to spread it out. By the way, real quick, as a podcast host, we have done that because we really we try to avoid people that are on the podcast circuit. We have PR agents oh, that yeah. pitch us all the time. And if we really like an idea, we'll go find someone who can talk about that because we don't want someone who's going to be on 12 podcasts within the next month. Like, we have 100% done that. Yeah, and as a producer, I'm like, okay, you've literally emailed me five times and then called me and texted me. Somehow you got my number. I'm not going to book you because you are so annoying. (laughs) So I do try to spread it out. You know, for example, two weeks ago, we were on CBS talking about our new clinic in a new part of Dallas that really is underserved. And now I have this flu vaccine that, okay, the study just came out, but I know it's going to be okay. And like, I doubt that data is going to change. So yeah, I do try to spread it out. If there are journalists that you have worked with before, I do like send them a text. I'm not going to call them or email them over and over again saying, did you get this? Did you get this? They did get it and they read it. It just might not be a good time. And you also have to really think about what's going on. I was going to do a pitch one day, I think it was early last year, and there was a shooting at the local airport. And so I was like, okay, I'm not doing this for another two days because it's just going to get lost and they're not going to read it and they're not going to come back to it. Don't pitch your client on election day. They're not going to, that's not going to happen. So you have to be really aware of what's going on locally too. Yeah, I get that. It actually reminds me of a time I was, uh, I was doing an interim executive director engagement and I was, I was following an executive director who committed fraud. So I was doing a lot of cleanup work. And the organization had a communications plan, but of course, first it wanted to work with law enforcement before it went public. And someone leaked it before we were ready to wrap things up with law enforcement. But I'll share with you, it got leaked on the day that a snowstorm hit. And I remember thinking, because I got a call from the media, and I remember thinking, could not be a better day for this to have been leaked. I don't know who did it. And they clearly probably did it maliciously, but it could not be a better day for this to have been leaked. It was on the news, but a little tiny blip. It was not It was not the first story on the exactly. 11 Exactly, and it's news. always better to do a 30-second if it's bad PR than a two-minute package. And that's funny you say that. A reporter literally just texted me. They wanted to come tomorrow for an interview. And she just said, I totally forgot we're getting inclement weather tomorrow. So we may have to hold off. And they called me. And you're like, yes, absolutely. Hold off, please. It's funny because this reporter (laughs) called me today. I didn't even pitch anything this week. Um, So exactly. It's just, it depends, especially inclement weather. Your reporters are not available. (laughs) They're standing outside and whatever inclement weather. But I do want to circle back with, you're going to hear in any webinar, only pitch to the reporter that's covering your beat. Honestly, no, like an investigative reporter may be working on a health story about maybe another patient, different hospital, but if they wanted a doctor's comment, they see my pitch and they're like, oh, actually I am working on a health story. Can you provide a doctor? Just last week, the Dallas Morning News, they didn't even interview us, but they know me now and they're like, hey, can we come and take pictures of your patient getting a sick visit for respiratory issues because we're about to do the story. So in my opinion, email, every email that you can find, and then eventually they're going to recognize you. 90% of them are not going to answer you, but the ones that do, then you're going to be the go-to person to be the expert on whatever's going on. And then you're going to know, okay, this reporter left because I'm getting a bounced email and they went to the dark side with me. And so you kind of figure out, okay, who's the new one that is replacing that reporter? 
I love, love, love that. Because it's literally, that's always what I've thought. I've always thought, okay, you craft a pitch, and then you think about which reporters you know who might be interested in it. You're contradicting two of the myths that I've held. The first myth is, okay, don't just pitch it to the people who you know. And the second myth, I think, is don't just pitch it to the people who you think are going to be interested. Yeah, absolutely. I had a open house uh, in October, and there is a CBS reporter that we've worked with before. And she's like, I really can't do it, but I'm sending it to the new reporter that started this week. And she ended up coming. And how would you know that if you're like, oh, this is just a general reporter, not a healthcare reporter? Like, so they do try to, you know, if they think it's a good story, they will forward it on. I have an ignorant question for you. Long ago and far away, I ran, I ran a relatively prominent organization in Philadelphia. And this was the early, early to mid-noughts. And every now and then I get interviewed by the news and and member of our board was kind of a high-end PR person. And so Jeff took me aside and he said, Dolph, whenever you go to be interviewed by the news, if they're going to be taking you to makeup, you should always take donuts to the makeup artist. Hmm. And you can see me, most of our listeners can't. I have a certain shine on my head. And he's like, Dolph, they'll take care of the shine on your head. Um, And is there any truth to that? Like, if you're doing, like, an in-person interview, I know those are rare now, but if you're doing an in-person interview, should you take donuts or anything like that for the crew and be like, oh, thanks so much. It's great being here. I'm trying to think back. When I was interning at Live with Kelly, I mean, those are celebrities, A-list celebrities coming through. We provided them breakfast, and then we the interns ate the scraps. Um, I don't think anyone has brought us anything for the for the crew. Of course, we would always get Kelly Ripa's uh, cupcakes that they were like, "Oh yeah, you can just take that home." Even local news in Charleston, we always had a guest on the weekends, and I they didn't bring anything. Wow, um, okay. And then when I was working in DC, they did have a makeup artist, and I don't recall anyone ever bringing. The, um, or something. So, I mean, Jeff, Jeff told me I was supposed to, and so I did. But I was always curious, like, if that was something everybody did, or if I was just the weirdo that did it. Apparently, I was the weirdo that did it. Well, I don't think it's a weirdo. I mean, we definitely appreciate it, um, especially if you're a crew member. You know, the reporters and the photogs get the short end of the stick because when it's election night and we get those pizza, they're not getting pizza because they're out at whatever election party that they're at or whatever post. Um, so I don't think that's a thing, but definitely appreciate. I can see why if it's a PR person representing a lot of brands and they want like a client or nowadays like an influencer to be booked on something, I can see why they're trying to stand out, but I don't think that's the norm. Okay. Good to know. So another question I've got, all right. So you pitched a story to a journalist you don't really know and they're like, okay, I'll run with it. They do the story. How do you cultivate a relationship with them so that the next time you go to them, they know you and they remember you? You don't need to overthink it. Honestly, I'll get their cell number because they're going to call you and try to set up whatever they need. And then I'll just text them. Usually you have to remind them because there's so many things going on once they're back in the newsroom. But you, of course, want that link to whatever interview it is. So you just follow up with them. It's like organically, it's like when you meet anyone, whether it's at work or outside of work, you just get to know someone and yeah, I don't overthink it. It's just another human and you're helping them out. They pitched your story and they liked it and now they don't have to research anything. They know what what they're doing that night. But yeah, I don't think there's any tricks or anything. You just, okay. the more you work with them, 
the more you get to know each other. You get the reporter to come out or to call you on Zoom or whatever. What are the do's and don'ts? Oh, okay. I did a media training with my staff, which I think is important if you're going to start pitching the media. And I did have a do's and don'ts. Don't mention another organization, even if you're partnering with them. Like for, you know, this nonprofit, we don't deliver babies here. We send them to the local hospital that we have a partnership with, but don't mention them because that's free advertising for them. And you really want to focus on yourself. And by the way, Krista, I noticed that's exactly what you just did. You said, there's another hospital that's local and we have a partnership with them. I don't know the name of that hospital. It could be, I don't know, you know, Beautiful Babies Hospital. I don't know the name of it. Yeah. I mean, unless it's like an event, like we had a Afghan refugee enrollment event. So we were partnering with the refugee organization, then of course. But if it's like something that you're not advertising. There's no need to compare yourself or or anything like that. Like I said, they're just people. So don't try to argue with them. I know coming from news, not everyone likes the media. And it is hard to convince some people that, no, this is actually a good thing. Like we're saving millions of dollars in free advertising and it's not coming out of anyone's budget. So I would say... The do's and don'ts, I think it can be specific to your organization, but always be polite. Even if you don't agree with their question, most of the time you're not live, so you can talk about it beforehand, but don't be rude and don't be insulting. They're not going to call you back. And for your staff, if you're going to do a media training, literally all you need to put on there is like bullet points of what they already should know, who we are, who we serve, how are we different from everyone else. And then when it's a focus and it's about the flu, you're going to make bullet points anyway for that person to prep them and focus on what they're going to say. So everyone should know what they're doing, even if it's the accountants or you're like, ah, I'm in billing. I'm not going to be interviewed for my organization. You never know. Right. They're walking through the parking lot and a reporter's like, hey, can we talk to you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And even I, you know, Everyone runs away from me when they see me because they know I'm going to ask them to like make an Instagram or when I call them, they know it's going to be an interview and they just, it's like cockroaches running away when I come because um, they're all scared. They're, and I'm like, you guys do great. Like when the camera's rolling, I'm like, why were you scared? That was great. But um, everyone laughed at me because I had pitched before and it was an Afghan enrollment event. And one outlet did tell me that they were coming. So I had planned to be at the event at that time. Well, when I walked in, another outlet was already interviewing people and they didn't tell me that they were coming. So I'm like, oh my gosh. And of course I had prepped someone else for the original interview, but this one, I, I didn't know what their angle was. And so I came in with my hair up, my no makeup, and I just had to jump in and do it which I think a lot of people are always annoyed with me because I'm like, hey, the media is coming in 30 minutes. We need to meet. And they're like, why can't you give me a day and notice? I don't have my face on or my hair done. And I'm like, that's just how they work. Yeah, you're like, that's not the news cycle. The news cycle is uh, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 7 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they all like joke with me when that happened because they were like, ha, good. you are got a taste of your own medicine. But, you know, you're always harder on yourself. One of the things I've noticed in my interim work over the last few years, and this is especially true 
during the pandemic and whatever phase of the pandemic we're in now is more and more media interviews are happening by Zoom. And so what are some tips for people that are, you know, reporter calls them up and says, hey, can you get on Zoom with us between, you know, it's 2.30 now, between now and 4.30 because we're planning on running something at the 5 o'clock news. Yeah. I mean, it depends on your position in the media training for doctors. They can't really teams me back when they're with a patient. But if they're like, hey, I'll get back to you in five minutes, it's better than me calling and texting and emailing them because you do have to be really, really responsive or else they're, they've already moved on. And they've probably already asked three different organizations and whoever is ready first, they're going to take. And I think that that's probably hard to kind of implement with people who are not from the news background because I have doctors all the time like, well, can we like do it tomorrow or like during my lunch break? And I'm like, no, this is midday. So 11 a.m. show like it has to be done by 1030, you know, so it is hard. But like if you have the time, like stack your books. So your laptop, you look whatever angle you like. If you know you're a doctor that I probably ask you a lot. I get, bring your makeup. Reporters always have makeup and hair stuff in their desk. There's no reason why you shouldn't have if you know you're someone that I call a lot to comment on something. I will share that one of my professional mentors who was a very successful executive director in New York City for about 20 years, he used to say to me, and he never ever, he was not a suit and tie person, but he used to say to me, I keep two suits, two shirts, two ties at the office so that if I'm, a, if I'm ever needed to be on TV to talk about the mayor or something else, I can be there and look good. And yeah, he did. Exactly. Like, like, Yeah, which is kind of the equivalent. Like, you know, make sure you got a comb. I don't need that because I have no hair. But you know, <laughs> make sure you got a comb. Make sure yeah. you got some makeup and you're ready to go. Yeah. And it's always important. Like, it's a conversation like we're having. They're not out to get you. I know if you're looking at politics news, you may feel like that if you are in politics and they're writing whatever about you. But... They're not really trying to get you. They're not trying to be like a gotcha moment. We are rapidly running out of time. I just, I've got one more question about pitching the media. Sure. And so sometimes in the nonprofit sector, you feel like there's one particular media outlet that's out to get you. They, they run, they run negative stories on you. It seems like, I mean, for example, organizations roof is leaking. Do they have the money to fix it? You know, it's 20 bucks a tar. Of course they have the money to fix it. That shouldn't be the headline. How does an organization turn that relationship around? It's funny you say that before I got here, the CEO had stepped down and there was one negative review and we totally rebranded anyway. So it really was my job to try to get people to know about it in a new name. But I think like just trying to talk to them, I don't know if it's like, it's hard because reporters really don't have time to like sit down with you and have coffee. But I think if you continue to, you know, if your roof collapsed and yeah, of course, some they probably do have emergency funds, but maybe the story is you pitch like, hey, volunteers are coming because our building collapsed, but this really serves X, Y, and Z. And that's why it's important in the community. If there's any way for you to kind of twist it in your favor, luckily in my nonprofit career, I've never had like, oh my God, this big scandal with the board or leadership here. But I imagine, you know, don't ignore it. I think ignoring the media is worse because then they're going to, then the public watching 
they're going to say we reached out for comment and no one got back to us. I think it's just better to just admit something bad happened. Here's what how we're going to fix it for next time. Because I, the public isn't stupid and they'll know that you're ignoring them. <laughs> but especially, I mean, sometimes it's maybe it's a small, for example, independent blogger with a, with a 5,000 person following or a small media outlet that's a niche outlet that's always, you just always feel like they're coming for yeah. you. How do you turn those? Honestly, if you know them, call them and ask them like, hey, like, I guess why? Ask them, like, why are you doing this and why are you reporting it this way rather than another way that maybe isn't as bad? If you don't have their number, email them. You can always call the assignment desk and they may or may not put you with that person or they may or may not have the answer. Yeah, in Charleston, we did have a company that was really mad we ran a story, but we did transfer them to our news director who is in charge of the newsroom and they took their call and kind of diffused that situation and explained like, you know, the news is here to inform you. They're not here to be negative all the time. They're just here to hold everyone accountable and be transparent to the audience. And I'm laughing because I know half the people in this world now don't believe that, but it is true. There is a lot of work that goes into confirming a story. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't want to believe that, that's true. Agreed. I don't know if any of what I said helped because I haven't had that happen to me. But I will tell you, everyone here knows the name of that reporter who did one bad story on us. And it was like a local new, like a local news. It wasn't even like an affiliate station. And every time I say this outlet wrote about us and I send the link out to everyone and they're like, who wrote it? Like really afraid. And I'm like, I do understand the frustration and kind of the fear of the same reporter coming out. And that reporter did come out and take pictures one time, but she never posted. Another reporter asked me for my pictures because that reporter never posted the story. And I guess she was bitter. I don't know. It was before I came. So I gave the other reporter the information and pictures that they needed. And it was posted mm -hmm. despite whatever the other reporter was doing behind the scenes. So yeah, I mean, find someone else that will listen to you if that reporter is not interested. That's helpful. Thank you. And Krista, I want to make sure that we've got time for the off-map question. I think I've got a good one. And by the way, I'm talking to two people this podcast recording day that have they either are or have been in the media. So I'm actually going to use the same off-the-map question for both of you. But so let's imagine there's a high school senior who comes to you and says, I'm going to major in journalism. And you're like, let me tell you what the future of journalism is. What are you going to say? You know, I would say be prepared to be underpaid. And you may be working two jobs when you're first starting out. Speak up if you feel like you are in danger. It's not worth it. You know, even if it's one hour you did a live hit and the next hour you're sketched out, just leave. And if something no longer suits you, you can change. You can be behind the scenes in front of um, a digital producer, photog. You can always change. But I think it was Minnesota and all the marches, and which some turned into riots. And seeing um, the CNN reporter get arrested for standing there. And that's what I kind of mean when I say if you feel like in danger. I mean, 
you're going to be sent to a murder scene, an active shooter scene. But if you really do feel like you're in danger, just just leave and hopefully you can be the one to turn around the narrative of journalism right now. I think we're all pretty divided no matter what country you're from. I think that's the narrative right now. And maybe you gain that trust back in the majority of the audience. I think that is a good goal. Thank you, Krista. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Listeners, if you want to find Krista, there's two ways you can find her. You can find her on LinkedIn, and we're going to put a link to her LinkedIn profile in the show notes. You can also go to hhmhealth.org. That's hhmhealth.org to check out the website of the healthcare system that she's working for. And finally, listeners, please remember that if this episode was a good one for you, if you got something that you're going to use that's going to help you pitch to the media, there's two more you should think about. One is episode 253 with Rita Sorenen. Become your nonprofit's brand ambassador because you know what? A good brand ambassador ends up in the media. The second one is episode 101, Storytelling and Nonprofit Fundraising with Tiffany Lawrence. And the reason we're suggesting this one is whether we're talking about fundraising or we're talking about media relations and interviews, it really is all about storytelling. Just remember to keep those stories to like 10 to 12 sentences when you pitch them, or they might not get read. Krista, thank you again for coming on. I'm so grateful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, and friends, please do me a big favor. If you have subscribed to this podcast, please rate it. And if you have rated this podcast, please share it with a friend. Tell someone else about it. And that, my friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And of course, the lawyers make me do this. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldemer Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If that is what you need, please, please find a licensed, qualified professional in your area and get the counsel that you or your organization needs.